the COO Roundtable, powered by PFI Advisors. Here's your host, Matt Sonnen. Welcome, everyone, to episode 33 of the COO Roundtable. We're back to our normal interview format after a short break last month to tell people about our new digital consulting platform, the COO Society. We consider that to be a sister product to this podcast. If you'd like to check it out and you want a discount to your first month subscription, you can check out episode 32 of the podcast. We offered a promo code in there as, as well as a overview of the, of the platform. Or you can head to our website and just click on COO Society on the, on the menu bar there. We're also running a back to school special here in the month of September, which will discount your first month. We'd love for you to poke around inside the platform and tell us what you think. On today's podcast, we have two highly respected guests in our industry. Both have a ton of experience, which they'll walk you through, and we have a really good conversation lined up, so let's get to it. Jandy Rowe joins us today from Whipley Financial Advisors, headquartered in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Whipley has 19 offices around the country. Jandy works out of the Kansas City office. And I just saw your CEO, Jeff Pierce, who I know from his days at DFA, I just saw the other day, he posted that Whipley Financial was selected for Financial Advisor Magazine's 2021 top RIAs list for the 12th time. The press release that you guys put out, it said, quote, Whipley saw 18.23% growth year over year with assets under management increasing to surpass the 5 billion benchmark in July of 2021. That was a mouthful, but congratulations on that, Jandy, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Matt. I appreciate you inviting me to participate. And joining Jandy today is Brad Hickson of Lido Advisors. Brad works out of Lido's headquarters here in Los Angeles. Lido has 22 offices listed on their website. They are in the headlines a lot because they're very active active in M&A. And in May of this year, they also made headlines when they received what was termed a significant investment by Charles Bank Capital Partners, which is a middle market private investment firm. Lido's latest ADB lists your AUM at $7.7 billion, But again, you're so active in M&A, I'm guessing you've bought another firm since I started speaking. So that number, the 7.7 <laughs> might be out of date. <laughs> But Brad, welcome to the COL Roundtable podcast. Thank you very much. Happy to be here, Matt. Awesome. So Jandy, I stole some of your thunder, but why don't you tell us in your own words a little bit about Whipley? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Matt. So the firm was founded in 1999. And as you noted, we do now have $5 billion in assets under management. We have about 90 employees and almost a dozen interns, some of which are currently actually wrapping up their summer programs with us. So that's been a lot of fun. I would say that in looking at what we would call our ideal client, we really have two segments of clients today. We have high net worth and then we have mass affluent. On the high net worth side, we collaborate very closely with our partners at Whitley on the CPA side. And we have a strong focus on individuals, families, business owners that have planning needs. And along with Whitley, we're able to offer a wide array of different needs, financial planning, wealth management, tax consulting, charitable giving, just to name a few of those. And then I was also given the opportunity to put together an amazing team that led the charge in building what we call our AVID platform. And um, that really focuses more on the mass affluent client base. These are really our Henry's children of the high net worth clients that we have, maybe small business owners that are just starting out. 
Uh, we officially launched that platform last summer, and it's more tech-focused, offers financial planning guidance without building a comprehensive plan. And at the point that those clients grow their wealth and start needing like more in-depth financial planning, we actually introduce them to the advisor teams who can meet those more complex planning needs, and then potentially kind of shift those clients from the Avid platform over to the high net worth. So that was an exciting endeavor that we were able to launch this past year. And then really in the past, we've grown a lot organically. Again, working with Whitley, our CPA partners, we've been able to grow our client base significantly on that end. Um, with Whitley, they've also been actually very active in the acquisition area. So one of the things that with working with them that we've been able to do is really open that door and start focusing on acquisitions on the RAA side. So one of our goals that we have uh, kicked off this past year also is to look for a few firms that we can partner with over the next two to three years to really start growing inorganically as well as organically with Whipley. That's awesome. And yes, we're definitely going to touch on M&A here in a minute. But first, Brad, why don't you give us a background on Lido? We were founded in 1999 as well. And we were really founded on the premise of bringing what I'll call a family office style investment philosophy down to the high net worth space. You know, my, my founder and my CEO both ran family offices in the LA area in the early 90s. So a lot of familiarity with that type of uh, investment philosophy. And that's really part of our guiding principles today. Currently, as you mentioned, you know, we're spread out throughout the country. We have 110 employees. And as an updated AUM, we actually just crossed 10 billion. So we're, we're up a good bit from where we were when we I was, Yeah, I was way off. Well, you know, if you look at the growth, it's really, it's really accelerated over the last three years uh, with Lido. You know, in, in 2018, our ADV was 2.7. So you can see the increase there. Ideal client for us, really. You know, we too have two segments. We, we deal in a high net worth segment. So our sweet spot's the one to 10 million. But our fastest growing segment is our ultra high net worth or that 10 million plus. Over the last three years, as a percentage increase, it's our fastest growing segment. I think that comes from that family office background and having that type of investment philosophy. Up until 2019, we were primarily growing organically. For the last five years, we've been able to, to maintain a CAGR of in excess of 35%. And you know, we'll, we'll probably add somewhere between two and three billion organically this year and look to do that inorganically at least 50 to 75% of that number as well. And it's, it's really, I'd say more focused around, as Jandy mentioned, finding strategic partners, not just looking at AUM. We're looking at talent, geography and opportunity. And that's really what our growth plans focused around. We're going to dig into a whole bunch of stuff about the firms, but I always love asking this question first. I love everybody's backstory. So Brad, you and I first met when you were at Fidelity. And at the time, yep. I didn't realize that that was your second stint at the firm. You actually took an eight-year detour during your time at the custodian. And before that, you were even a financial advisor, which I always find fascinating. So walk us through your career path, what led you to Lido a few years ago. Sure. So I, uh, I always joke with my kids. My, my career started in the gym. Uh, I asked the guy to spot me when I was 20, and he and I became friends, and he was a financial advisor. So they invited me to intern with them, and that was with IDS Financial Services, which I did. And then I became a paraplanner. And when I graduated college, I went, I went straight into personal production. So I had the opportunity back in Pittsburgh. That was back in Pittsburgh where I grew up. I had the opportunity to find warmer weather which I found to be very appealing to me. And that was my first stint with Fidelity. I moved out to Los Angeles. I worked in the branch system. I also worked their internal money management product uh, in the Southeast. So I spent about two and a half years down in Florida. Came back to follow my mentor, who had taken over the realm of First American Trust and spent about eight, nine years there. 
great experience, and then gravitated towards Fidelity again, as you mentioned. It was on the institutional side this time, though. So I was a senior relationship manager. I covered what I would say were the 15 largest RIAs in the Los Angeles area. And it really got me, I think, in a good position to do what I'm doing now. I got to see under the hood. I got to see what people were doing right, maybe where they were making missteps. And it really brought my level of understanding up to a new level, having that role. And that's actually where I met Lido. So they became a client of mine in 2011. And they were at seven to 800 million at the time. And when I knew I was going to the independent side of the equation, I just had a really good cultural fit with them and the opportunity came up. So I took it and that was three and a half years ago. That's awesome. I love that. You, quite literally, your career started in the gym. That's a, that's an amazing yes. story. <laughs> Ken Rock. I asked him to spot me. Still remember the name. That's awesome. So, Jandy, you just celebrated your 20th anniversary with Swiftly, which is really amazing. So congrats on that achievement. You've had a few different roles leading up to being named the CLO. So walk us through that path. Sure. Thanks, Matt. This is actually one of my favorite stories to tell. And I still am shocked by the fact that I've been here for 20 years, that it doesn't seem like it's been that long. But then when I have to tell someone how long I've been here and 20 years comes out of my mouth, it's just still a little bit shocking. But 20 years ago, I was actually moving from Kansas City out to California and had a bunch of interviews lined up with Charles Schwab, ironically, and thought that that was where I was going to be working when I finally pulled into the Bay Area. And I'm pretty sure somewhere along that drive, Schwab had a hiring freeze. So needless to say, I did not end up working at Schwab, which in the end all worked out well. I found a headhunter in the Bay Area because it was not easy to find a job at that point in time in this industry. And luckily came across Whipley at that time. And they didn't have any jobs open for anything that I had any experience at at that time. It was really the administrative assistant position, but I was just ready. I'm like, I knew I wanted uh, to work for the company. I thought that I would at least get my foot into the door. So I met with them and luckily they actually had a client service role open at that time. They just hadn't posted for it. So that's where I started. And the firm 20 years ago was in client service. At the time, there were two of us in client service and I'm sure it had nothing to do with my coming aboard, but right after I came aboard, the other client service person left. And so that pretty much left me as the only client service person in the firm. And it gave me a great opportunity to learn client service, trading, portfolio accounting, performance reporting, a lot of compliance. You know, we were a much smaller firm, obviously, at that time. So I just got to test it all out. The one thing I never did was the front stage. I've never been an advisor, never really had a desire to be an advisor. I love the backstage. So yeah, starting off in client service and then client service managers, we started to bring some folks into the team, director of client service. And then as you noted a couple of years ago, had the opportunity to step into the COO role. And I do think that all of that, being able to touch all the little pieces of the backstage of the firm really helped me fit into this role and kind of have a better sense of how all the departments work together. So it's been so much fun. It's such a great company. And obviously, if you're going to give a company 20 years, uh, you love the people, you love the job. And it's, it's been a fantastic run. That's awesome. Well, we touched on M&A, but on this operations-minded podcast, I always love talking about what firms are doing operationally to prepare for inorganic growth and to make your firms attractive 
to sellers looking for a firm to partner with that's going to spur their next avenue of growth. Our industry is always talking about the deal structure and valuation, but the listeners here, we all know that it's really an operations story that a firm needs to tell to an advisor. You need to convince them that your firm can handle their clients and can onboard their employees in a seamless fashion and hopefully offer them avenues for growth in the future. So I'm going to go to Brad first. What have you done in your role as director of mergers and acquisitions? What have you done to make Lido an attractive landing spot for advisors? You guys have been so successful. No, thanks. And you know, it's interesting because when I started talking to Lido back in 2017, I don't think you can underscore how important the operations side is on the inorganic growth. When we were talking in late 2017, you know, it was kind of an uncomfortable conversation because I actually mentioned to them, I said, my expectation is that we're probably not going to do a deal in 2018. And they just kind of looked at me funny. And I, I said, we're not ready, right? I mean, you have to have the right technology stack in place. You have to have the client service model down. You have to have a segmentation model down. You, you need all of those things or else an acquisition or a roll-up advisor is going to go very poorly, right? What they're looking for are efficiencies. Can I do my job better? And can I offer more to my clients? Now, as far as offering more, I think that goes to Jandy's point that she made with about her firm is that it's investments, it's financial planning, it's tax planning and, and tax preparation. But they also want to know, as you mentioned, that you can handle the task. Can we onboard their clients? have we put processes in place to make things more efficient? The majority of our paperwork is now automated via DocuSign so that it, it can be a very seamless process. We're heavy in the alternative space. And as you both know, alternative paperwork is cumbersome and it takes a long time. Well, we've automated that. Opening an alternative or, or investing in an alternative from 25 to 30 minutes down to about five. So you just, I think you just always have to be looking, Matt, as to how can I make the back office better how can I make the process smoother and how can I leverage technology to do so? Because if you, if you have those things in place, you have the whole story to tell, not just the offering for the clients, but that you're really going to be there to support and help grow the advisors and provide them the, the resources they need, not just on the financial side, but on the technical side as well. We preach to the choir here. <laughs> I know we do, but yeah. hopefully you all can use that little clip from Brad. I'm sure many of you are getting pressure from your bosses. We're not moving fast enough. Why haven't we closed more transactions? Why are we not acquiring more aggressively? Hopefully you can use what he just said and you can point to Lido's success in the area that, I mean, I say it all the time, but I just feel like I'm talking into the void sometimes <laughs> in our industry, but yeah. it really is the operations have to be in place first before you can get aggressive and have real success in this area. No, you know, 2018 was the only time in my career I've been a line item expense on a P&L because <laughs> we were just getting things in, right? We were just getting things up and ready. And I just, I think it's imperative that you do that and really prepare for that next step as opposed to just taking it. Awesome. Well, Jandy, I know you've been very busy in this area as well. So what are some of the things you're doing uh, to make Whitley attractive to advisors? Sure. So one of the things we did as we were building up to this was we brought on Katie Cullen. She's our, our new chief innovation and strategy officer, and she's amazing. But one of her primary focuses is M&A. And we also have a dedicated leadership team that we don't serve as advisors. So really, we've been able to spend the time dedicated to mapping out the plan and lining the pieces up so that everything's going to work. One of the things that Brad had mentioned was making sure that you have that well-oiled 
backstage team up and running and having the efficiencies. And I feel like we've been doing that. We've had that in place for a while. So now being able to put other things into motion, you know, bringing Katie on, creating an internal team that really their job will be to onboard firms as we meet them and get them brought into our teams and be able to help with their client load and be able to take that backstage work and the compliance work off of those advisors and be able to take that for them. So they're really focusing on their clients, their prospects, and, and really being an advisor. We've also been really lucky that Whitley kind of charged this path ahead of us. I know that they're on the CPA side, but they've done so many acquisitions. And, and so they've kind of learned a lot of what works, what doesn't work, what should we be paying attention to from some of the technical aspects and then some of the HR aspects. So being able to rely heavily on them has been super helpful in just starting to, to build this out. And of course, one of the things that we did was have an opportunity to work with you, Matt, and your team and really dive into the operational side of the firm to ensure that it's strong, make sure that the pieces are lined up. Again, going back to what Brad said, you know, is there any gap that we need to be paying attention to that we need to tighten up to make sure that as we do onboard another firm, bring them in? that we just can do it and do it seamlessly. And I feel like we definitely have that lined up. So that was a great exercise to go through with your team. And then we, of course, took it that next step and really built the roadmap out. So before diving into the first one and saying, oh gosh, we're having to learn this as we go. I feel like we did a lot. We've been doing a lot of work ahead of that to take a look at everything, to actually build out a true roadmap and then just position us to bring on another firm effectively and efficiently. And one of the things I always want to make sure that we're keeping in mind is that, and I think Brad kind of mentioned this even earlier on the call, is that we're really looking to bring on the right firm. We're not looking for somebody who's looking for a succession plan where we just basically bring on their clients and then they're out the door. We're looking for the talent. We want to bring people on that want to work with us. So there's got to be that great people fit, the cultural alignment. It's super important to us. So as we partner with these firms, we're bringing them in and we all collectively win at the end of the day and can just move forward with growth in multiple directions. So it's really exciting. I'll do a quick self plug. <laughs> uh, the, our, the last article that I just wrote hasn't even been published yet, but by the time we publish this podcast, it should be, we'll link to it. But the title is M&A prep is more than just securing financing and talking about everything the two of you just hit on is I just think so many firms say, we got the financing, let's go and figure it out as we go along. And I just think it's too competitive out there for that to be your messaging to these advisors that have spent their entire career building this book of business for the acquirer to say, well, we'll figure it out as we move your clients. You're going to be our guinea pig. I just think you just have to have everything in place. So I get so excited on the operations discussion. I always, I never take the conversation one step further and ask about clients. So we just discussed attracting advisors to your firm, but let's talk about how you go about attracting clients. So Jandy, I'll go to you first. What makes Whitfully unique with respect to how you're serving and attracting clients? Sure. And again, I am always on the backstage, but I do know a little bit about the front stage and how well that works. But I think the two things that I would really point to that I, I think are unique about us and just something that I know that the feedback from our clients and advisors has been really positive is one is that we lead really with an advisory team approach. And then we also have what we call financial life in action. So 
we generally don't go to the client with one advisor and say, this is your advisor. Instead, we go to the client saying, this is your team, and we're here to work with you and help guide you on your financial path. And the team typically consists of a primary advisor along with the secondary advisor. And then, of course, we pair that advisory team with a lead client service specialist. And the team collaboratively works with the client on whatever is needed. And again, the client service person is really there to help with more of the administrative side of whatever our client needs so that the advisor aren't having to spend their time on that and instead can really have those deeper conversations with the client and then let some of that backstage work be handled by the client service associate. And then we also have a super consistent approach of leading with financial life in action. And it creates this consistent, powerful planning experience across our client base as all and all the advisors follow this process. So financial life in action is a three-step approach that's very interactive with the client. The steps include three meetings. We have Explore, which is hearing the client's story. We have Envision, which is an interactive planning meeting where they get to visualize the next steps with my storyboard. And then finally, we have Empower, which is where the client receives a dynamic and proactive financial plan with the recommendations and action items that provide our clients with a clear path for their future. So I feel like those two things really are something that it's just really getting to what the client needs and making sure that those needs are met continuously. And a team approach is one of those things that I feel like has really helped in the succession of the client relationship. So anytime you've got one advisor working with a client and then that advisor leaves or retires or what have you, not waiting until the last minute and saying, oh, we're going to take you and move you from this advisor over to that advisor. You're okay with that, right? They don't even feel it because it's always a team. It's always multiple people. And so they've got different individuals that they can be reaching out to on different things. They just don't feel like it's just them and the advisor. They're them with Whitfley. So we feel like it's a great approach. And again, the feedback from the clients has been super positive between that and the financial life and action that we run with them. Yep. And you talk about consistency. All of us ops folks love that word. You gotta have a consistent <laughs> client experience. So that's great. So Brad, in your mind, what is the secret sauce at Lido? When I'm out there talking to other advisors and people about joining Lido, you know, we kind of focus on two areas. Well, one is the family office investment philosophy. And if I have to describe that, it really revolves around four pillars, right? There's growth, pillar one. We all know what that is, right? The stock market, long-term exposure. I don't spend a lot of time there. The second is protection. We're very focused on hedging our clients' portfolios. We've been doing that for five or six years now, or actually longer. And we just feel it's the right approach because, you know, our clients have made money. Yeah, they want to make more, but just as importantly, they don't want to lose money. Third pillar is opportunistic investing. For example, take, take what the market gives you, right? When the market fell 30% last year in March, two days later, we launched the recovery portfolio. And that was an opportunity to pick some stocks that were going to function in that type of environment. And it did very well throughout the recovery. And then the fourth pillar is non-correlated assets. We're, we're big in the alternative space, real estate, private debt, things along those lines. And we think it's a great way to produce consistent income for a client, as well as have something that's not going to go up and down with the stock market. And then you go to step two, which is really the overall wealth planning experience, right? I mean, we have a dedicated financial planning team that works with our advisors throughout the country. It's got, you know, people in six different cities from that standpoint and continues to grow. We have Lido Tax, which provide tax strategies, tax consultation, and tax preparation if needed to our clients throughout the country. We have an estate planning attorney on retainer that consults with our clients throughout the country on their estate needs. And we have access to three friendly trust companies that allow us to do the intergenerational planning and, and asset management from that standpoint. 
And when you, when you pitch that all with the, the client service, the back office, as Jandy mentioned, what we're really doing is we're freeing up the advisor to do what they want to do best. And as she mentioned, not have to feel like I have to do it all. We're very big on the team approach as well. We want as many touches and as many contacts as makes sense for a client, but, but being able to fall back and have a financial plan prepared for you, having tax people come in and do a tax strategy session with your client, not just look at their taxes, but let's devise a strategy and, and having those experts on, on hand. That's what we do. We, we take all that other stuff off their plate and allow them to focus on gaining new clients and taking care of their current ones. And I think that's really what resonates with people when I talk to them. So we've covered the value proposition that you're making to your clients. Now let's talk about how you actually execute on the promises that you're making. So let's talk about org structure. In my experience, there's really two primary ways to structure the firm. You can either centralize the back office and run all service tasks through there, or you can work in smaller teams and it's each advisor or subset of advisors have their own service team. You're kind of siloed. And Brad, I think you've tried both models at Lido. How is the firm structured today? So we're actually in this area, we're in kind of a transition mode, right? So I'll say we have our legacy model, which was more the team approach. And it's morphing into more the centralized approach because we've, we realized over the last couple of years with the growth we've had, and that we want to continue to have, that that's a much more efficient way to handle that, that aspect of our business. So as I mentioned, we're actually in the transition. Now, when I say centralized, it doesn't mean it's all located in Century City or Texas. I have centralized pods throughout the country so that you know I've got people on the East Coast, so that advisors and crew on the East Coast aren't waiting till 11 a.m. to get a hold of somebody their time, but it's really more of a centralized pod approach uh, that we're moving towards. And I think that's the way the industry, and at least for my firm and our firm, that we, we have to morph because it's just, it, it, the other side is just too human capital heavy. And I think this is a much more efficient way of accomplishing it. And as, you know, as I said, we, we want to invest in human capital for the client experience and, and make sure that we're always providing that top-notch uh, experience for the client. But we want to leverage technology and we want to leverage the efficiencies as much as possible so that we're able to spend those assets and, and those, those focus those resources elsewhere. Yeah, that's really smart. And Jandy, I know you've done a lot of work in this area. Tell us uh, about your centralized back office. Sure. Yeah, I think from, from day one, when I joined 20 plus years ago, it's really been centralized, although back then it was so small centralizing it just seemed to make sense, but I'm, I'm happy, really happy that we just continued with that approach my entire time here. So we've always had everything centralized. We have a trading team, we have an operations team, a client service team, and then we have an investments team. And similarly, I mean, we're not all sitting here in Kansas City, although the client service team is here in Kansas City, but then we've got people in a few other offices, but that is what they do. They are in trading or they are in operations. And yeah, you know, we try to pull as much of the day-to-day -day work as we can into these teams, kind of like what we've been saying, Brad and I, to allow the advisors to really focus their time and attention on their clients and prospective clients. The centralization not only frees up the advisors from the more administrative tasks, but it also allows us to really hone in on creating efficiencies in our processes. And I think Brad has talked about that as well. And just really, again, going to use the word, having a consistent experience for both the advisors and the clients. We've never, I think, that I can remember ever actually had an advisor even allowed to trade. Like it is shut off from day one. They can't move money. There's just a lot that we've been able to do to be able to make trading happen. It doesn't really just happen on its own. Of course, we have traders that do it, but there's just very little interaction that the advisors have to get into when it's just the day-to-day -day stuff. So these teams have really been set up to just 
be able to do what they do. And then when you're doing a day in and day out, kind of like Brad's saying, you can really create those efficiencies and you can look at how you're doing something and make improvements and you just make it with that smaller team. And it's very easy to then execute and then move on to the next thing that you might be able to improve upon or, or just create that efficiency. And again, the main objective of centralizing it is to free up the advisors for not having to do that type of work, but it also just helps you keep so many controls in place. You know, those of us that are having to oversee the operational side of the business, you need to know that when money's being moved, that the processes are being followed that are supposed to be followed, same with trades being placed, all of that stuff. So knowing that you've got a team and that is what they focus on and you can really build out the procedural manual for how it's done and that, you know, all those things, it just really helps you know that what you're doing is always the right thing and you don't have something kind of rogue happening over on the side. So I'm happy that we created that approach so many years ago. And I always love talking with other back office people about it. I think those firms that are now learning that this is really a much more effective and efficient approach. I get calls, you know, regularly, Hey, let's, let's talk about it. What does it look like? How did you develop it? What are your job descriptions? What's the career paths? So it's really fun to, to talk about it and to see that other firms are taking this approach as well. In my opinion, obviously I'm biased, but I think it's a really smart approach. Yeah. So this conversation has progressed in an interesting way. So we attracted the advisors to the firm. Then we attracted the clients to the firm. <laughs> and now we've just serviced the clients through the org structure. So, but I want to talk about the two of you individually now. So our listeners hear me say this all the time. Your job description is basically do everything around here that isn't getting done. And that will lead many times to a to-do list that can fall on the floor and literally roll out of your, your office. So I'm curious, how do you get everything done every day? Because I know many of our listeners struggle with this. I'll go to Jandy first on this one. Jandy, what is your superpower? <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, you know, when I, when I talked about my history in, at the firm and I noted that I was like the only client service person for a while. And at that point you had nothing but to just do it all. And as we've grown and built out these teams, I've been super lucky to have an amazing team that works around with me. You have those individuals that you can trust and that you can rely on to get things done. And then they're also the ones that are helping you keep the teams engaged, which is super important. I've just been really lucky to have this particular group that, that I work with day in and day out. There were times in the past where you couldn't really even take a vacation and unplug because there was always something, somebody needed you to weigh in on something here or something over there. And that just doesn't happen mm. anymore. I, I think with the people that we have in place today, I know that they're doing what they need to be doing. I know that everything is, is on track. I know that if there's something that they need my attention for, of course, they're going to reach out. But all in all, I mean, it's just a phenomenal team. And, and I think one of the things that I, I love most about it is not just that they are amazing and get as much done as they do, but we also have so much fun working together. And I think when you've got that type of an environment where things are getting done, we have exciting things on the horizon, and then you're having a lot of fun together, it just changes how your day goes. And you can have a ton of stuff piled on, but when you're working with the, that caliber of people and just having that much fun, it, it just changes things. So, you know, even over the past year and a half, we've been even more remote than we were before because we're spread across multiple offices. But even what we've been able to do while we aren't together, these new initiatives over the past year and a half have been just as exciting. And now, of course, we're all just waiting for 
everything to get back to whatever normal is and, and get these people back together so we can see each other face to face and continue building on that team dynamic. But for me, I guess it's not my superpower. Maybe it's just being able to find the right people that, that support me and that support the teams that work with us. Uh, it has been a life changer. They're all super amazing. I would start naming them, but you know, I'll miss one like the Oscars yeah. and that never ends well. So they're all, they're all, it's an amazing team. That's great. So Brad, how do you accomplish so much with only 24 hours in a, in a given day? Probably could use about four more hours, Matt, but I don't yeah. think that's going to change anytime soon. So, you know, I think to Jandy's point, it really is about the team you build. And, it, you know, it, it's two points. One is finding the right people and then empowering them to do their job, right? I mean, the, the worst thing you could have is the head of operations or the head of trading always wanting to come back and get permission for things that they probably don't because they just don't feel comfortable. So I think when you find the right people, empowering them to make decisions and make ch changes based on what's best for the firm is great as well, because just it helps clear up the day some so that you can focus on more of the strategic things. Because as you mentioned, you know, you can get dragged down into the weeds pretty quick and it's not the most efficient use of anybody's time to be, have those powwows. So it's really finding the right people and empowering them to do their job. And I think if you do that, it helps you get to what your goal is as well. And yeah. You got to have fun, right? I mean, we, you know, during the pandemic, we had weekly lunches where everybody zoomed in and, you know, you got to keep morale high, especially during these times. You know, we didn't talk business. We played games. We did silly things like that. Trivia, keeping people informed, you know, what is the vision of the company? Where are we heading and, and how do we want to get there? Regular meetings with all the staff to be able to discuss that. You know, we just had another one on Monday where we were, were making some organizational changes for the better. And, and you got to keep people up to speed in the, so they understand what they're working towards, especially in these remote environments. Yeah, communication has always been important, but it's yep. just hyper importance in, this, in the pandemic and working from home and everything else. So I'm glad you brought that one up. Yeah, I mean, there's probably 10 people that I've never met face-to-face that started during the pandemic and yeah. probably five of them are in LA. So yeah. I'll meet them someday, but that's a different environment to operate in. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's where you turn to internally for help. For our last question, I want to ask what outside resources you leverage as you both manage these multi-billion dollar enterprises. So Jandy, where do you turn outside of Whipfully for help? Yeah, great question. I, I have a wide array of cohorts across the industry and Kind of as I, I talked a little bit about earlier, this is really the only industry that I've known. I mean, for 20 years, I've been working with Whipley. And so, you know, over those 20 years, you start building relationships with other people. You go to conferences where you make connections. And so I, I've just always been a part of those groups. And, and it wasn't until recently when my client service manager, I, I'm pretty sure it was her, was I introduced her to one of the, the groups that I was involved with and said, here, I want you to take this. I want you to learn from them, share ideas, what have you. And she kind of came back to me and she was like, so I'm just really curious, like what all can I share? Because these people talk about a lot of stuff where you kind of feel like maybe you're giving away some of your secrets of, of how we do business. And I just kind of laughed because I hadn't really thought about it before because it's just normal for us. I feel like in this industry, we just share, like we obviously know where the boundaries are. There are certain things we're not allowed to talk about, but for the most part, we are all actually working in this industry to improve the industry, to improve our businesses collectively together. So the sharing of ideas, the bouncing ideas off of one another, you know, taking polls with groups that you participate in to kind of gauge what people are doing. And there's been a, even more of that. I feel like with the pandemic, I, I feel like 
I can't count the number of calls that I've been in that talk about return to work. What does it look like for your firm? Yeah, so it's, it's a constant sharing of ideas. I've been a, an active member on Hyphone for, for years now. Sean is amazing. And it's been so much fun to make those connections. I, was, I took the Schwab ELP course years ago. And from that created a study group of my own of some great cohorts in the industry. And then recently, obviously, I also joined the COO Society. So that's a new avenue for us. But just knowing who's out there, going to these conferences, meeting these people, sharing ideas. It's such a great way to, to grow personally, as well as, you know, take the company to the next level with different ideas and, and what have you. So I definitely feel like outside of Whitley, there's so many different people that we can tap into to just grow. It's, it's a phenomenal industry for that. And I still just laugh that I, I never thought about, oh, are we sharing too much? You know, again, know the boundaries, but beyond that, like we talk about everything and I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's a fantastic industry. Brad, so talking about the industry, you've been around for a while. You have an amazing network. Who do you rely on? Where do you turn? As Jamie pointed out, you make so many contacts. And I, and I think you, you can't underscore that enough that, you know, part of what you need to do is, is make friends in the industry because we've got some pretty good ideas, but so do other people. And, you know, what I've always been kind of uh, impressed with in this industry is the willingness to share, as, as Jandy mentioned, and the willingness to help. Right. I mean, you know, I have regular meetings with other COOs of, of large RIAs and, you know, once a quarter we sit down and what are you what are you struggling with? You know, here's something we ran into. Have you ever run into that? There's plenty of business out there and people, I think, just inherently want to help each other. And you need to make those contacts. As she said, you need to get involved in the societies. You need to go to the conferences now that they're starting back up again. And you need to have regular contacts. I mean, the people I worked with when I was at Fidelity, I know very intimate things about their business, obviously, but I still get together with them and we still share ideas from the, those other RIAs because that's what we do. And that's what I've always been impressed with, with in this industry. It's interesting, I think, sometimes when you come from a wirehouse or things along those lines, there's a lot of internal competition. That just isn't the way we are. And I don't think that's the way our industry is, the RIA space. I think we're willing to make each other better. And we're always looking for opportunities to make our firms better. And you, you need to take good ideas and, and get counsel from people that are going through the same thing. And I think that's the best part of what we do. I love it. Well, Brad and Jandy, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today and helping us all learn from your vast experience in this industry. This has been a, a really fun conversation. So thank you both for being here. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Brad, it was nice to meet you. Thanks. And I'll, I'll connect with you at some point so we make sure we share ideas. Sounds good, Jandy. I look <laughs> forward to it. Matt, thanks for having us on. Appreciate the opportunity and the time to talk. Cool. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode. That is a wrap here on episode 33.